Good afternoon and welcome to Wrapping Medical Device Utilization Data and Performance Metrics in a Risk Context to Improve Threat Detection and Response, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production, sponsored by Medigate by Clarity and First Health Advisory. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments in the Q&A box, and we'll take them later in the program. Nice way to view the screen, click on the top center, get it in side-by-side -side mode. Then you can adjust the divider to get the slides in the video boxes the size you want them. And it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to have our main panel discussion featuring Matt McVeigh, VP and CIO at Children's National Hospital, Carter Groom, CEO with First Health Advisory, and Tom Finn, Director, Market Development with Medigate. All right, so let's jump right in and get started. Matt, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Sure, Anthony. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, so my name is Matt McVeigh. I'm the uh, Executive Vice President and Chief Information Officer here at Children's National Hospital, uh, a role I've served in for the last two and a half years, uh, 20 years in total in healthcare IT, uh, and really over the last couple of years, it's been an honor to serve children's uh, in the CIO capacity, but also um, help in concert with our Chief Information Security Officer build a security program, and looking forward to talking a bit about that today. Organizationally, we're a 330-bed hospital located in Washington, D.C., and we, we serve the entire D.C. metro uh, and beyond, right, with uh, national, international patients drawn to our centers of excellence, uh, top 10 pediatric hospital uh, with a huge uh, research investment as well uh, with top 10 NIH grant funding for pediatrics. So a, a wide variety of clinical research uh, and other community service activity that we do here at Children's uh, and uh, look forward to sharing some of our work uh, in the security realm with you today. Very good, Matt. Thank you. Carter? Anthony, thanks for having me. Good to be here with some friends, uh, Tom and, and Matt. Uh, First Health Advisory is a healthcare asset-centric cybersecurity and risk advisor, and we advise hundreds of commercial entities, government healthcare entities in our Managed solutions really get to the core of reducing patient safety and enterprise risk. And as a benefit to the programs that we deliver, um, you know, there are what we like to call capital avoidance value uh, elements, you know, and by understanding how devices are utilized, we're really uncovering uh, efficiencies in the life cycle of operational IoT and medical devices. And, my role as CEO of First Health Advisory is to constantly assess that threat curve uh, to ensure that our services and our technology partners like Medigate work to put our clients in the best posture to protect their organizations and really the healthcare ecosystem at large. Very good, Carter. Thank you. Tom? Yeah, thanks, Anthony. I'm uh, Tom Finn, uh, Director of Market Development for Medigate. I'm kind of an evangelist for the company, been with them from the get-go, going back now about 
four years, and uh, as I have been in healthcare for most of my career now, more than 30 years, uh, it's been an interesting ride. I've always been associated with tech transfer into the healthcare space and uh, witness here uh, the adoption of these IoT cybersecurity technologies run faster than I've ever seen uh, any other example of. Um, it's been an interesting ride to say the least. Um, instead of us uh, trying to convince folks uh, this year as to what they need to be thinking about, they're telling us exactly what they want. And that's a rather notable change that's occurred in a very, very short period of time. Anyway, thanks so much for having me. All right. Very good, Tom. All right, Matt, we're going to start with you on this first question. Talk of, uh, today, we're going to talk about some ways health systems can improve medical device security. Let's set the stage by talking about why it's so challenging. What are your thoughts here? So I think that it starts with the vastness of the, uh, of the challenge and uh, just um, by uh, to set the stage here, uh, over the last six months, we've seen 50,000 devices on our network. Uh, we use, we've used Medigate to, to, to tell us that information, but um, the, uh, and they're of all sorts, right? So as a, as a broad enterprise focused on research activity, uh, clinical care delivery with great specialization, just the sheer number of different types of devices and um, both for medical care delivery, but IoT devices, and then also our core IT assets, uh, it's just the vastness of the problem. And so uh, for us, step number one is to get visibility to that, those devices, which we've uh, pursued and um, be able to start to understand, are these managed devices or unmanaged? Uh, and then as we'll talk about today, then starting to get more sophisticated about how do we correlate those devices uh, and then ultimately um, uh, manage the vulnerabilities that they present to our organization. Certainly there's, you know, the, the context is also clear, I think, as, as, as most are probably aware around um, our ability to, uh, you know, to patch and manage some of these types of devices, particularly those that are with FDA clearance, uh, presents another challenge. So it's not only the vast number, it's how they can or cannot be managed, but then also uh, making sure there's clear lines of accountability and ownership for the, for the sets of devices we're talking about here today. So the vastness of the variety, managed and unmanaged, and uh, the unmanaged ones, agentless, as they say, are more difficult. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, and and I think that's the, you know, that that's the importance of of being able to have something that re recurringly gives us the visibility to those to those items on our network. All right, very good, Tom. Yeah, as far as just commenting further, you mentioned unmanaged devices. Um, you know, just to to add a little bit of context there, obviously uh, in the IOMT realm in particular, uh, you see a lot of uh, undocumented, often proprietary transmission protocols uh, that they use. Uh, that's part of the reason why they're very difficult to discover in the first place, let alone uh, manage. Um, in addition to that, uh, as we know, these devices were not manufactured with security in mind. so. Scanning them for vulnerabilities on a remote basis is, again, uh, generally a no-no that, uh, in fact, will directly violate warranty provisions. So there has to be a passive uh, method invoked in order to get your arms around the problem. And that's where a lot of the technology advances have 
taken place over the last several years. There's, there's a way to do it now where um, information can be aggregated from managed devices that enjoy the benefit of an agent being installed on them that can uh, provide that information along with methodologies, passive methodologies, as I mentioned, where the information can be parsed directly from the network traffic flows. You put that all together and uh, notions of comprehensive visibility are, are, are realistic now. They're, they're achievable. It's happening. Tom, we, we, you mentioned it, and we often hear complaints that the, these were not manufactured with security in mind. Um, they're very expensive, and they last a long time. They're in use a long time. So you don't just throw them out and pick up new ones. But are, are the ones being made today, are they being made with security in mind? Is this a problem that over time will go away as devices that are built more to, to security are more in the market in use? Um, I think the short answer is no, the problem is not going to go away for all kinds of reasons, uh, not the least of which is uh, investing in uh, what may be uh, tantamount to pushing a noodle uphill, so to speak, if you're the, the, the manufacturer. There are always going to be new exploits, new vulnerabilities that are not going to be uh, accounted for. Um, and so you start to scratch your head and wonder if there isn't a better way to deal with the problem. I would also say that the manufacturers face a slippery slope with regard to assuming any sort of liability on this front as these devices are not on their networks and they are not managed by them. So there's a whole host of considerations here that basically say, hey, look, best efforts here for sure, closer collaboration, for purposes, uh, for example, of identifying vulnerabilities that really matter, uh, that uh, you need to deal with. Uh, I think that's all going to happen. But the idea that there's going to be a magic wand that gets waved over time based on um, the device manufacturers, quote, taking care of it, I don't see it happening. Very good, Carter. Yeah, I mean, look, this is this is my passion. This is my life, and, and we could probably, you know, have an entire hour just to talk about this particular subject, Anthony. But, you know, Tom and and Matt really hit the nail on the head with some of the the issues that make this such a, a challenge. It, it's it's a quagmire, really, because you know you talk about the unmanaged devices, uh, you know. There's a massive amount of those devices and the variance between those devices also make it difficult because you have to apply different controls around those devices. They all require connectivity. They're ubiquitous in what we call a borderless environment of care. And on top of that, you know, once you get that visibility that Tom talked about, there's there, there are a ton of vulnerabilities that have already kind of you know been pent up. And you know, as we talked about manufacturers, they're not obligated to build security into the devices. So even if that was uh, you know, a requirement today, it would probably take 10 or 15 years. We'll, we'll be retired and sitting on the beach in Miami at that time. Uh, the other things I think about that make this challenging, it's not just a security issue. It's not a network issue. It's HPM, it's supply chain, it's clinical. There are so many stakeholders that need to be involved and coordinate to get after reducing risk in, in really an enterprise 
fashion. And so when you think about segmentation, you think about patching, these things are sort of never ending commitments. Uh, and there's just so much more to do about this challenge. Uh, it, it, but if you don't have the confidence in knowing what you have, you know, your inventory and how those devices are behaving, none of this stuff matters. <laughs> you know, the process, the governance, indexing, correlating, context, prioritizing risk, it's futile if you're not getting accurate data and then getting it into the hands of the people that can do something about it. So that's that's why it's such a challenge. So that's step one, Carter, as far as you're concerned. You have to know what you have. Step one, correct? Absolutely. Yep. Okay, so Absolutely. what 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 percentage of health systems out there do you think know what they have? <laughs> Guesstimate. Tom, you'll close your ears, Tom, but you know, I, <laughs> I I think it's probably in the single digits that you know truly have a handle on let's say 99% of their connected assets uh, around IT medical device. Um, you know, that number is growing because of, you know, platforms like Medigate, no doubt. But there are a lot of integrations that are part and parcel to enriching that information. And they're just not easy. Some of them you turn on, you know, you get some NAC integration, you get your wireless, wireless LAN integration, you know, those things. But there are other integrations that are really important to get that visibility that we talk about in some of the most mature and capable organizations on this planet are still not there yet. Uh, and, and I know, you know, Matt and his team, they've been putting a lot towards this over the last two years. And, and we're still working towards, you know, understanding are these all the devices we have on the network? Tom, single digits? Uh, I don't know if I'm going to argue with Carter in terms of, uh, uh, being more optimistic, I would say that uh, for health systems that have made investments in the latest and greatest visibility tools, um, which, by the way, uh, for perspective, probably means what um, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 percent of the market. Um, you know, that's your starting universe uh, that we can argue with. So if you go ahead and you you think in terms of the 80% of the market that hasn't really gone down this path at all, that hasn't looked at uh, visibility tools, um, then maybe Carter's numbers are, you know, empirically, you know, <laughs> correct. I mean, how do you get to a bigger number if 80% of the market hasn't done anything? I would say for the 20%, if that's the number that has made a move, um, you know, they're they're coming up the curve very, very rapidly. Um, I just wanted to go back and just for purposes of, uh, of, you know, an additional perspective on a comment that was made about patching in particular, if you just think in terms of the number of devices in the typical health system, uh, by the number of operating systems running on those devices, um, the diversity, uh, the S-bombs, you start to look at all of that, uh, the scale of the problem reveals itself. And uh, it is not, you know, the, the path of remediation is, <laughs> involves many, many, many different approaches. But to the point of your question, it all starts 
with having visibility to assets and the kind of visibility that you know you can act upon that you can correlate vulnerabilities to to make progress and so um i know i've uh, maybe circled this a little bit but i want to reinforce a couple of things the scale of the problem is bigger than most people that recognize it's a challenge fully recognize fully appreciate and um if you make trade-offs as you move down this path at the beginning with regard to visibility, those trade-offs are gonna hit you between the eyes as you move forward uh, downstream. Um, and you look to integrate with enforcement systems as an example. Um, so getting it right from the get-go is absolutely mission critical. So Matt, um, if we say 80% of uh, health systems out there have not, uh, gotten a hold of understanding what's on their network. You're not one of them. You've moved forward. Um, we're going to talk about that. What prompted you to move forward? What prompted you to get into that 20% as opposed to staying in that 80%? Yes, yeah, so it's, it's a great question. And we, you know, we started, of course, we've, you know, managed uh, cyber and uh, security risks for, for a long time, but really started down a pathway in earnest about two and a half years ago. And when we sat down and said, okay, what does our roadmap need to look like? Uh, it started with, you know, asset visibility generally, right? You need to know what you have to be able to put in protection controls, policies, procedures, et cetera. And it became very obviously quickly to us. Uh, and I would, I say this is another framing of the, 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 the challenge is um, that this is an area where we had, tremendous decentralization across our organization. So, you know, unlike, you know, managed and uh, end, end user device endpoints, medical devices were kind of at that time managed across multiple different departments and divisions. Uh, as Carter mentioned, uh, probably procured in through different supply chain channels uh, with different vendor relationships and contracts and those sorts of things. So you start to look at it and you say, okay, where's our biggest um, risk from a uh, entry point or from uh, from a, a lack of visibility perspective, medical devices popped up on that list quickly. And we'd certainly been doing some past work with, with Carter and some of his team, and they also raised this issue to us as something that needed to be front and center. So we put our roadmap, when we put our roadmap together, uh, this piece, starting with visibility and then getting more sophisticated over time, was front and center to it. Um, I would add one other thing, and, and I thought Tom did a great job uh, with his comments around um, the complexity here, but I also would say that it's also not lost on us that these many of these devices are directly connected to our patients. And so that in itself creates um, challenges when you don't quite know what it is, you don't wanna put an enforcement tool in place, turn the device off or patch the device um, and, and, and cause disruption uh, because there's no separation in a lot of cases uh, between, you know, these devices and, you know, the, the child in our NICU, right, or, or otherwise. So that's also really important. But this became front and center because we didn't know what it was. And so we were certainly, um, that was our step one, is to figure out what we had so we could start putting our arms around it. Because that's, uh, well, that's really the CISO's job more and more in terms of the discussion about the CISO's job is the chief risk officer, to defined risk and define risk. And um, this certainly is one area that probably stood out. I, I, did the CISO bring this to you? Did your CISO say, hey, we've got a huge black hole here of risk? 
So, so when I uh, when I started uh, as CIO here at Children's uh, a couple of years ago, we didn't have we didn't have a CISO uh, in place at the time, right? So, I was working with partners such as as Carter and others to help supplement that. Um, I'm blessed to have a fantastic CISO now, and he is a key partner. He and his team are a key partner to our risk organization. To your point, in managing cyber risk, um, and and. We also, in addition to this roadmap, put in, you know, a much more robust governance process where we're sharing data metrics, outcomes, approaches to what we're doing um, as one of our key principles when we started to build out this program together was that we needed to provide transparency to the organization about what was actually going on and what, what risks related to that uh, and not have IT security be kind of insular to the IT team, right? And, and that that had had been the case in our organization previously. So um, Nate Lesser is our CISO. He, he does and his team do work directly in, um, in this work every day uh, and really are driving this forward to, to levels beyond what our original roadmap set out to do, um, but, but driving in a very positive direction and explaining it, putting in context for our clinical uh, care delivery teams and our management team and even at a board level uh, the risk and um, uh, look forward to sharing a little bit about some of that work and how we do that from a metrics perspective as well. All right, very good. Let's jump to our next question. Carter, we're going to start with you. What are some of the most important IOHT security technologies and service offerings around threat detection and response that health systems should be taking advantage of? Well, in, in, you know, already we've talked about the obvious, you know, passive scanning solutions like Metagate, you know, are, are essential to building capability and maturity into the programs that Matt's talking about. And getting that support, Matt, I know you'll talk about, you know, the board level support for this program and building in the overall maturity of the children's, you know, national risk, uh, you know, response is essential. Uh, but that platform that creates, you know, the accurate inventory on these connected assets and, and all of their attributes that come with it, um, you know, also need to be integrated, uh, you know, to contextualize the risk. And, and that's what Matt was talking about before. So, you know, how do you understand how to prioritize a specific vulnerability uh, on a device, a fleet of devices or your entire ecosystem? of devices. If you were, you know, just chasing every vulnerability, you'd never get to it. And so you have to figure out how you contextualize it and say, all right, this is the, the biggest risk to our patients. This is the biggest risk to our organization, our, the uptime of our services, our balance sheet, our reputation, et cetera. And, and you kind of factor all of that in. And then you start to integrate that with systems like CMMS, and CMDB that are really key platforms to integrate as you build maturity so that the information coming from a platform like Medigate gets into the hands of individuals that actually go out there and touch the devices or apply those patches, apply those treatment plans to the devices. And then I think about NAC, you know, network access controls, active, direct, active directory. These are other key integrations that enrich the accuracy of the data around those devices in your environment of care. Tom? 
Um, if I looked at um, Medigate's business drivers, most uh, prominent business drivers right now, maybe that's a good way to approach an answer. Um, you know, beyond uh, recognition now that uh, the better the visibility, the better everything else just seems to work. Um, uh, I think advances in how the underlying data are being orchestrated to other systems um, is a major advance. I think um, one such tremendous beneficiary there are NAC products. Uh, the idea of being able to finally deliver full visibility um, at the device level uh, to network access control, uh, to be able to generate security policy, simulate the impact of policies before deployment. That whole ecosystem has completely transformed. It's transformed in terms of vulnerability management. Now again, identity-based vulnerability management, identity-based scanning is a reality. These are not, you know, oh, by the way, that's a nice incremental improvement. It's the difference between these systems that health systems have been invested in not really performing in the unmanaged world and now all of a sudden being able to perform that. So I think um, that's a major advance. I would end by saying that I think um, the fact that vendors like Medigate have recognized that they see utilization of these devices um, and are figuring out ways to normalize that information, validate, validate, normalize, and make it useful is highly significant because <clears throat> there's an ROI uh, associated with that data, and it helps to fund uh, these projects more aggressively uh, across security. So there's a there's a nice relationship there that is is driving more cross-functional participation. It's good for the organization. I think it's good for everybody because there's there's a business case now that I think supports this. Matt, anything you want to add there? You know, I think that. Um... You know, really, when we when we think about uh, that secondary piece that Tom, that second order effect, if you will, um, I think we're just scratching the surface on the utilization piece and our ability to um, maximize the devices and the investment piece. And that's, you know, for our organization, at least, that's not what we set out to do as part of this. And, and we and we haven't realized those benefits yet because of, you know, the numerous things we focus on on a regular basis. But I think that's actually... Um, a great um, a, a great opportunity and and certainly there's been past efforts to you know utilize tracking systems and RTLS to know where things are at but the fact that um, now there's better aggregation and better capabilities around um, actual utilization not just location I think is is a, is a good point a good secondary effect all right Nick. Very I'll just I'll build yeah, on one thing. When, when you talk about threat detection and response in your original question, you know, we can look to our, our recent event around log4j vulnerabilities and say, okay, now that you had better information, you could make quicker decisions on what actual assets within the organization need to be addressed first. And, and that's a huge step forward from when we look back a couple of years to WannaCry, where you know this challenge lasted for a long time. And I'm not saying Log4j is, is going away. It's still a, a potentially an active exploit. But when you have that information at your fingertips, you can make much quicker decisions. And I saw this real time. Of course, it was over the holidays, essentially. 
uh, occur in organizations that have that visibility, that have accurate information, they can respond to threats much quicker as a result. And that's that's huge when you look at success factors and in, in key performance indicators that I know we'll talk about uh, in, in, programs, in programs like this. All right, very good. Next question, uh, Matt, we're gonna start with you. Describe how and why inertia can keep healthcare organizations from moving forward with these technologies. Why is it hard to get going? I mean, it's always hard to do something new and different and big, um, but specifically with these technologies, what's, what can hold an organization back? Yeah, you know, I think, um, I think we've been, in some ways, we've been able to overcome some of the resistance just because of what's happening in the environment, right? The, you know, thinking back, you know, several years ago when we were just starting to put out our roadmap, you know, we were really, we were really defining the potential scenarios and the potential risks to our stakeholders. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, you know, defining some of the investments we needed to make in technology and people and resource and process improvement um, in absence really of what we've all now seen, our lived experience is healthcare becoming, you know, kind of the, uh, the center of focus for a lot of bad actors. So um, in some regard, there's no lack of awareness, right? As we sit here today, you know, we've seen such a number of, uh, of incidents and issues with, with healthcare, particularly around ransomware. Um, so that's helped. But I also think there's still this, there's still an ongoing, um, you know, we're, we're healthcare organizations. Um, we, we, we don't necessarily control our reimbursement rates. We're seeing, you know, certainly seeing um, labor expenses and supply chain, supply related expenses grow at a rate that outpaces our reimbursement. So to your, to really get to your question, we have to continue to show through data, right, through metrics, where we need to get from a security risk posture perspective across a variety of very really kind of complex technical um, areas and be able to articulate that continuously to key st stakeholders in a way that helps um, put a fine point on what the risks are, what we want to go do to mitigate them, and then what level of investments required to do that. But then also talk about decisions and trade-offs in that regard as well, because there's so many, you know, cost and financial pressures facing healthcare organizations today. And what might be a way you would articulate that, Matt? I mean, you would show data that would essentially uh, communicate the level of risk, and then you would talk about that could mean potentially by perhaps referring to other breaches that we've seen and potential uh, hundreds, uh, tens of millions of dollars being out. I think it was 100 million for scripts. I mean, so that helps in terms of data, right? Yeah, we, 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 have, we have certainly taken those data points and apply them in context to our business, to our revenue, to our uh, organization and what it would mean um, in absence of a lot of investments to be um, essentially, you know, back on paper and using uh, non-electronic systems for a 30 day period and having to kind of recreate records and revenue. So certainly that's one aspect of it. Uh, the other aspect, which I think, um, you know, certainly I think is really, really important here is, uh, putting it in context of how we're managing risk. So, so one of the things that uh, my CISO and his leadership team have done a fantastic job at uh, is creating what we call the, the cyber risk index for our organization. And it really, you know, in 10 or 11 key categories describes 
key metrics that are digestible and understandable by our executive leadership team, uh, and then tracking progress against those key metrics, you know, on a month over month basis. That's been, that's been a game changer for us because we, and we actually worked at this for well over a year and a half to try and come up with the right metrics and tell the right story. It really, for us, organizationally, is put in the context of what we've done for decades in our safety program. So healthcare organizations focused on safety and quality metrics have long you know, measured CAUTI rates and, and other key infection rates and those sorts of things. And, and almost as, you know, never events, if you will, like things that can happen. Now in mm-hmm. cyber, it's, you know, there, there's going to be, we're not going to get to a place where there's no cyber risk, but we're absolutely in a place where um, we can show a trend line of reduction of opportunity for vulnerabilities and other things. So putting that dashboard out, publishing it, being transparent about it uh, really has been really important for us to keep momentum uh, through our program. Very good, Tom. Yeah, I um, I'm really uh, happy uh, that Matt went down the path that he did because I think, as a practical matter, um, he's spot on um, the context of his remarks and the fact that they have actually created this index. Uh, because where I would have gone is to have said, uh, what's important. Uh, is to figure out, work with a services partner uh, that can deliver you early stage wins uh, that you can document and report um, and bring stakeholders who are at an arm's length into the fold by showing them existing vulnerabilities and how they're being addressed now rapidly that you have visibility to them and how meaningful this capability is um, as you know, heretofore, you've been operating in a relative blind. You start to uh, make that information available to executives um, in different departments who are feeling the responsibility to infuse security into their staff workflows. It's understood as an organizational pursuit now, and it all works together. But as a practical matter, boy, I'll tell you what, um, Budgets are tight. People are reluctantly moving forward. It's a tough putt. And all of a sudden, uh, some wins are uh, identified. They're reported with enthusiasm. They're understood. And momentum, uh, the inertia is broken. Momentum is created. And people start to see the business value associated with eliminating a lot of these outdated workflows uh, based on, you know, frankly, uh, historical lag in investment on the operation side of healthcare, you know, for, for decades now. So it's a relative green field. There's a lot of low hanging fruit that if you work with folks that know where they are and can pick them and report on the value, uh, you can get past this inertia very, very quickly. Carter. Yeah. You know, look, you know, Matt, said it when talking about that cyber risk index providing in, in, you know children's is very fortunate to have a board that it has a vision and a commitment to reducing risk around cyber it, it, but when you provide objective kpis and measures and you show that the investment that's been committed to by senior leadership is actually moving the needle that is really important to tom's point 
Uh, you know, and, and I think of you know other organizations and where I saw resistance. Uh, you know, yes, it's complex, it, and so some organizations it comes down to just a pure resource issue. Gosh, we know what we need to do. We read out there what's going on, but we just don't have the talent. We don't have the resources to do that. Uh, you know, and, and also, and Matt and Nate have done a great job of this, of helping senior leadership at Children's National understand that this is not just a project. It doesn't have a finite end per se. This is a program. Uh, it takes specialized resources, but it's an ongoing thing. Uh, that, that is a really important distinction uh, from other, you know, IT implementation or integration projects, maybe. And then the last thing I'll say to that, you know, that I've seen resistance on, and we haven't talked a lot about the importance in this type of program of an HTM or clinical engineering department, but some of those organizations that maybe are, are thinking in the past don't necessarily want to be exposed. And, and what I mean by that is, those leaders in HTM or clinical engineering or biomed are accountable for the safety and, and, and just the overall inventory and, and how those devices actually work. And I would say some are fearful that if you put an actual you know, device on the network that says, okay, here's where they're all at and here's how they're behaving, some of those individuals say, Gosh, I might be exposed, uh, you know, and be accountable for that risk. And so that I, I've seen real resistance there. And, and so we need to kind of work to overcome that feeling and, and help those individuals understand this is better for the organization, uh, you know, from an enterprise risk perspective. Yeah, I there's only one thing that I would add that I think is notable here. Um, and Carter touched on it. Um, when we speak in terms of inertia, um, there's a people problem for sure, and it's often overlooked. Um, a lot of health systems that I have uh, experience with understand where they need to invest, how they need to invest. They know what they need to do, but they don't have the people to pull it off. And, uh, and so they're, they're looking uh for service providers that can fill those gaps uh necessity being the mother of invention here we're seeing all sorts of new uh hybrid type tech enabled service models emerging to address this problem but it's a big component of the inertia so tom it's it's they're saying it's a great tool you're offering me but i just don't have the bandwidth capacity or people to run this tool in terms of operating it and then taking action when it's giving me alerts that something's wrong. So if you offer me a tool and a service, maybe I'm interested. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. Now, Matt, does that make sense? I mean, maybe not for your organization, but you can see other organizations just not having the bandwidth to execute on some of the stuff. Well, certainly, you know, and, and back to some of the key tenets and principles when we put together our cyber program, one was to balance um, investment in tools and technologies with people because our historical um, approach had been to buy tools but not to maximize their utility because we didn't have enough resources to support maintain and do exactly what you're saying Anthony which is um, using the monitoring and measurement uh, certainly um, and it's certainly that's not a you know not an infinite resource we're not going to get people people so I think 
as we look forward, just as organizations have traditionally done, you know, for, for kind of SOC type monitoring kind of, um, I think that will continue and continue to create opportunities for, for organizations to really partner with um, managed services providers to go drive some of these topics forward and maybe in a more specialized way like medical devices. All right. Very good. Um, Tom, let's, let's go to you on this one. Uh, discuss how early stage progress reporting and integration sequencing can move IOHD security projects forward and address and explain the concepts of meantime to remediation and asset utilization reporting. So a little primer there for our folks. Yeah, well, I appreciate the question, and I'm going to, uh, and I'm not going to dodge it, but I'm going to throw <laughs> it at uh, Carter. I think that um, uh, I have just commented on the importance of um, creating a scenario where you can have some early stage wins, know that you're going to uh, be able to um, deliver those wins document and report on them in ways that is going to drive engagement from leadership, possibly loose some purse strings on budgets, and keep that progress, you know, front and center, high profile. Um, the reason why I'm punning to Carter uh, is because meantime to remediation is a, is a concept that uh, essentially he has associated with this, and it's very much how First Health uh, operates. Uh, with clients, they they very much understand the practical value uh, of doing precisely what uh, is suggested here. So, how about if I uh, I let you run with this, Carter? Yeah, I'll take it, Tom. And it, yeah, absolutely. When you think of meantime to remediate or even even mitigate, and there are some key differences in those two terms. But it's the time that it takes between when you identify uh, a, a vulnerability. And when you actually do something about it to, to fix it or, or lessen it. And, and so when you think about Matt's comments and what his CISO Nate is doing around cyber risk index, that is an absolute key performance indicator to be able to say objectively, it used to take us you know, 20 days uh, between when we found out there was a problem with a specific asset and when we actually remediated it or, or mitigated it. And, and so that is a performance indicator. Now there's some factors that the, the healthcare organization may not be able to influence. If you're waiting on a patch from Philips or Becton Dickinson or, or, or some of these other medical device manufacturers, you're at the mercy of that organization. Uh, but it is an absolute key metric. Uh, and, and the better information that you have in the right hands you should be able to reduce that metric over time. That's good. Tommy did a good job with that. <laughs> All right. Very good. Um, Matt, let's go to you on this one. Why is it important to present performance metrics in a risk context? And how is this done? You mentioned the index you're doing. Is that pretty much your method? Yeah, the index really is our method. And just to, to validate what Carter's saying, we, we don't we, we haven't used mean time to remediate. We just call it average dwell time, which is pretty much the same thing, right? How long are these uh, vulnerabilities in our environment? And, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, that our team routinely points out to me is um, that actually looks worse before it gets better. Right. So as we discover more, as we get a better understanding of both the, 
the, the things in our environment, but also their characteristics, we're reminded how much we have to go do to bring that average or that mean time to uh, remediation down. So, but it's really important, you know, to, to just to put a, a highlight on our prior conversation, it, it's really important to do this, to, to put the metrics in a risk-based context because, um, because it, because it really, in absence of the risk, it's just looks like expenditure and, 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 and there's like, you know, the, the question that might come up is, you know, how much is enough, right? And so how much is enough is answered by how much risk are we willing to accept organizationally uh, for a particular topic or, or, or segment of our, of our uh, care delivery model. And really that's what the index has allowed us to do is to say, not only track that progress, but we, um, our team worked with, you know, our, our cyber governance committee, our cyber security oversight group, and worked with them to jointly define the metrics, right? What should, how many devices should we have in our environment with a, uh, a, a dwell time over a certain limit? So, so rather than just us setting the context, of course, we did it as advisors and we gave them the kind of what, we, what, what the concerns might be for each of these items. But that joint exercise actually created some level of shared accountability and responsibility across lots of important key stakeholders in our organization uh, and, 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 a, and a better understanding, a better grounding of, you know, what does it mean if we choose not to make certain investments or not to put in certain policies or procedures uh, or controls? And that's really, really important for us. Carter, when you're dealing with clients, is, is, is this kind of how the discussion goes about risk in terms of investment versus risk? So you want that risk number to go down, the investment has to go up. Yep. You know, Matt's spot on, right? You're aligning those metrics with the business goals of the organization. So, you know, what risk do we accept? What risk do we, you know, move over to our insurance? What risk do we actually get after? And it, and it becomes an enterprise risk discussion. So it has to fit in with all the other areas in, in context of risk. And, and what those metrics allow organizations like Children's National to do then, if, if, if it's good data, is make decisions on how you allocate resources. So if you don't have that information, how do you know how many people to you know, put on the people process technology challenge? And so that's a big element of these programs and understanding the metrics and how they align with the organization to say, this is how much we're willing to invest. And if you have those objective numbers, it really helps with the conversation. Tom, I want to get an audience question in front of you. Um, let me abbreviate here a little bit. The problem with understanding the, re the real vulnerability state of devices is that quote unquote, passive scanning only provides an initial assessment of vulnerabilities. It is still laborious to have a true view of vulnerabilities from a single tool. You see oh, that question there? I don't know if you see um, it. No, but, uh, oh, it's in the Q&A here. Yeah. Um, well, I heard answer? it. I heard it. So my okay. comment is, um, if, if your notion of visibility is limited, to what you believe can be parsed from a traffic flow, regardless of um, how skilled uh, the deep packet inspection is. Um, I'm going to agree with you 
and then say, but that uh, underscores the need for doing business with vendors that are dedicated to the space and have the bandwidth to, to then do the offline uh, R&D required to enrich that baseline of information with things like the operating requirements of the device, its workflow, its authorized connections, um, uh, digging deeper on a continuous basis to understand at a level of detail that allows you to threat process uh, more effectively or optimally. Um, visibility directly ties to the effectiveness of threat processing, obviously, but only to the extent that you have an enlightened idea of what visibility can encompass. Um, so, you know, hey, um, if you don't know the authorized uh, uh, behavior of a device, then how can you monitor for unauthorized behavior effectively? And so uh, I think my answer to your question is, don't limit your understanding of visibility in terms of DPI. Think in terms of vendors that are deeply invested in enriching that information, that, that uh, data foundation on a continuous basis. All right, very yeah. good. Oh, go Can ahead, Carter. Real quick, because you know, I, I see this and I understand where uh, you know the questioner is is coming from, and and yeah, I'll be the first to say it. There's there's no one magic bullet here that solves the problem. But that's that's why there are businesses out there that that are trying to address this every day. But I'll say you you can't do anything if you don't start with information that comes from a platform like a Medigate. And that I talked about it earlier, CMMS is, is an extremely important integration here because then you start to correlate that information with the device history, its maintenance history. It, it, you, know, it, you know, those types of things are really important then to understand what you need to do to reduce that risk. But if you don't have the attributes, if you don't know where those devices are, and that information that'll come from Medigate, you can't get to phase two or layer two of correlating that information. And so it is a very, very important piece of the puzzle to be able to passively scan these devices and know where they are, the attributes associated with them and behaviors associated with them. All right, very good. Uh, we have a question here that we prepared and we've also, it's also a similar one has come in. So I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this in front of you, Matt. Discuss how stakeholders involved in a mature program can collaborate in pursuit of risk reduction and life cycle efficiency. The question from the audience is, um, since deploying Medicaid, has your IT department become more cohesive as in networking, security, biomed and facilities? Visibility of all connected devices is key when it comes to identifying risk and exercising prevention for IT as a whole. So I think those are related. You tell me. Yeah, I think they're related too. And I think they're, I think it's a great point, right? So I, you know, um, and, and every time I, I listen to someone like Tom or Carter talk about the technology itself, I even learn or expand my thinking about how we could use it. But in addition to that, you know, this, this is fundamentally, as the, as the questioner is pointing out, is a, is a governance issue as well, right? So how are you going to go use that valuable data 
and go execute strategies that are going to improve the situation. And I will say that the answer to the question of has it brought these departments together and more closely aligned is yes. I will also quickly say it's a work in progress, right? And that alignment continues. Um, in addition to that, in, in we've done that a lot of that. We've done that through, you know, the the kind of a Gen One of a programmatic approach, and um, and and gotten a lot of invaluable insights from Carter and his team and others on how to build a program around this because it does involve so many stakeholders, uh, and and I think we can continue to mature that governance. The other step that we've more recently taken, uh, which I think, and I'm hearing a lot of organizations, um, is we're investing actually in a human, in a role of medical device security under under our CISO, under Nate, to go kind of lead this work because it's um, so involved and complicated. It really does need to be somebody's day job to go do that and, and liaise to these very important um uh, functions. And, and in our organization, um, we're bringing in a former biomed director to do that. So it's, it's gonna, it's gonna really help us, I think, as we continue to mature and think about, uh, the device security here, building off that program and foundation we've created, uh, to kind of make this a continuous ongoing and, and kind of a maturing effort. All right, listen, we are almost out of time. We're going to do a little lightning round of final thoughts here. So I'm going to go to everyone in, in maybe uh, 30 seconds, your final parting piece of wisdom or advice for our healthcare IT executive listeners. Think CIO, think CISO, help them out. Carter, what do you got? Wow. Okay. I'll, I'll try to make this quick, uh, you know, because I've, I've heard it and I still hear it, right? This idea that nobody has been harmed or died from ransomware or an infusion pump being hacked. Uh, I don't know why we're doing this. I, I still hear that. In fact, two weeks ago, I heard it and it makes my blood boil. I'm not a FUD guy. Matt knows this, Tom knows this, but I say that's total BS. And it's, it's putting your organization in a really dangerous position if you take that position. You know, there is objective as evidence that cyber attacks are really a catalyst for degraded functionality, hospital strain, and, and hospitals are strained already, uh, but delays in treatments or, you know, diversion of, of ambulances, they're having a marked negative impact on health, health outcomes and even increased mortality. And so, Look, this is this is my passion. I see a lot of scary stuff out there. There's you know some negligence, shortfalls, and duty of care, including underlying staffing shortages that make this all the more difficult. But this is a time to be more vigilant. And believe me, you know there there are bad actors out there that want to take advantage of the stress in the health system right now. And I just I believe that an attack on any healthcare entity is a threat to our whole ecosystem of critical infrastructure healthcare. And so I would say, get after this challenge. Very good, Matt. Well, I, th I, th I appreciate Carter's passion on this topic because it, it, it is, you know, we talk about measuring the effectiveness of our cyber program and the way we've measured quality and safety. And I think he appropriately points out that the, the two can be indistinguishable at some level. Like the, the, there's not a, a gap between the the appropriate functioning of these devices and their their availability uh, and how the care we're delivering. So it's absolutely spot on. Um, I would just 
leave this group with uh, really, and we, and we spent a fair amount of time on it, but it's, 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 you know, robust world-class technology. There's no doubt about it. These systems are really important to get visibility and to continue that visibility and, and be able to do meaningful, you know, um, meaningful work in identifying threats and vulnerabilities and managing them. But it's the technology plus the programmatic approach that brings all the key stakeholders together to go react and respond and um, and, and and reduce the dwell time or or or, or, or mediate faster. Uh, and then it's the importance of showing that data to our stakeholders uh, to continue the pathway and the trajectory and, and, and building a robust program. Those are the key elements in my view, and I, and, I, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you all today on this. Thank you, Matt. Tom, last word. Yeah, uh, well, I would uh, say as a starting point, um, make sure you have cross-functional leadership uh, engaged. This is an organizational pursuit. Do not underestimate uh, the ROI associated with an integrated approach to asset management and cybersecurity. Uh, the vendors are attacking a green field. There is a payoff here that is sustainable. And finally, as you're evaluating solutions, check references for operationalized examples of those that you see as high value. Uh, there is a big difference between a vendor saying we exchange data via an API and a meaningful operationalized value engineered integration that delivers use cases that are difference makers. Um, so take the step. I don't think you'll find problems these days finding a peer who is more than happy to give you a guided tour of uh, what they've been able to accomplish. All right, very good, thank you. Regarding continuing education, you can use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you wanna sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and you can go to our website to register for upcoming webinars. With that, I wanna thank our panel, Matt McVie, Carter Groom, and Tom Finn. I wanna thank our sponsors, Medigate by Clarity and First Health Advisory, and I wanna thank you, our attendees. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.